Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Mark chapter number 14, verse number 66 through 72, we're calling this message, A Servant and His Failure. The servant here is Peter, Peter's denial of the Lord. Let's read this uh, passage of scripture, Mark chapter 14, verse 66 through 72, the song we just sang, Nothing Between, you keep that way clear so that you don't fall, you don't have a failure, the servant and his failure. Uh, Mark 14.66, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, the Lord had already been arrested, and Peter followed afar off, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And the maid saw him again. And she began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean. And thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crow twice, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. A servant and his failure. Now we're not watching necessarily the servant Christ here in this one. Peter is our example in this. And let's begin by asking ourselves the question, Why did Peter fail? What caused him to do this? And it's kind of a carryover from what we've been studying. One of the things that caused Peter to fail was his misunderstanding of God's word. Jesus had been preaching. He had been teaching. He had been prophesying his death, burial, and resurrection. We'll find when we get to the book of Acts, post-resurrection, that they asked him, is now the time when you're going to set up your kingdom? So the, we know the disciples had in their mind that they felt that Jesus was the Messiah. Who was it? Was it the woman at the well that said that? In John chapter 4, she went back into the city, and I think Andrew said this as well. In John chapter 2, we have found the Messiah. So they knew that Christ was the Messiah, and so they have this idea, this kingdom mentality, which they rightly developed from the prophecies of the Old Testament. Okay, The prophecies of the Old Testament prophesied a Messiah, a king, who would come and deliver them from whatever it is they needed to be delivered from. 
And so Peter thought that the kingdom was going to be established. And so he couldn't understand why Jesus was submitting himself, surrendering himself to this arrest. Okay, So he misunderstood the teachings, the teachings about the death and resurrection of Christ. Again, we can't necessarily fault Peter. You know, we look at Peter's denial here and we say, wow, he really failed. But think about it for a moment. In the previous verses, all the disciples forsook him and fled. Peter, however, is the only one who followed the Lord afar off. Where were the other disciples? They weren't following the Lord at all. Peter followed at least afar off. So we sort of give him a benefit of the doubt. I don't know about you, but I see myself in Peter. Maybe I'm now as outspoken as Peter. I'd like to think that I think before I speak. Peter seems not to do that. Uh, although I've gotten myself in trouble by, you know, uh, open mouth, insert foot, <laughs> uh, before you think. That's kind of Peter. <laughs> so he doesn't understand the complete teaching about the death resurrection of Christ. I put myself back in Peter's sandals and I say, okay, where would have I been with these 12 disciples? If I was walking with them, would I have understood the teaching, the ministry, the prophecy about the death and resurrection of Christ? At the present time, Peter didn't understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that was actually coming, and will come in Acts chapter 2 with the day of Pentecost, but Christ's indwelling power, his rule, his reign, all that uh, the prophecies really regarding his uh, kingdom. Peter will later understand these things, and he will write two epistles, first and second Peter, where he has all this outlined Because after it all is done, he gets the understanding about this. Peter has several things in his epistles about prophecy. So Peter does eventually understand. But at this point, he misunderstands God's word. Part of the reason why he finally understands is because of the indwelling ministry of the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit teaching him. So he misunderstands God's word. He is also confused. Remember in the previous paragraph, he was the one, uh, Mark doesn't mention it, but the other gospel writers do, that Peter was the one who drew his sword to defend the Lord Jesus. Okay, the scribes, Pharisees, whoever came to arrest Jesus, and Peter pulls out his sword and attacks the enemies of Christ. And the Lord, of course, says to put away his sword. What Peter's doing is pulling out his sword is he's acting in the flesh, right? We have many New Testament teachings about acting in the flesh. Paul deals with that in the book of Galatians. A walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Paraphrasing that. So we have the tendency to walk according to the flesh. It's our natural reaction, our first reaction. And uh, we need to stop and say, okay, we need to walk after the Spirit instead of walking after the flesh. He wanted to defend and fight the for the Lord's kingdom. Again, part of his understanding was the Lord's going to set up his kingdom, so let's help him do that. We also have the tendency to do that, don't we? We've got to help the Lord do his work. And uh, we are laborers together with the Lord, but our attitude a lot of times is, well, the Lord's not doing anything, so I have to do it. Yeah, the Lord's not standing up, Peter's probably thinking, and so I have to defend the Lord. And Jesus says, Peter, put away your sword. Jesus did not rebuke his 
enemies at this point. It didn't stop them. We have the song, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. And he could have. But he went in. So Peter's confused about this. Lord, you're preaching about your kingdom. I mean, John the Baptist came on the scene right before the Lord, preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So where's this kingdom? How are you going to have a kingdom when you're going to be arrested and stopped from establishing this kingdom? Why don't you just blast away your enemies and set up this kingdom? So he's confused about that. He's allowing, Jesus is allowing his enemies to take him. And part of the reason, I think, that Peter is following afar off is, I think, he's so curious. He wants to find out what is going on here. I'm confused. Why doesn't Jesus, and maybe, maybe he's going to do this somewhere else. So Peter follows afar off, and of course they move. We don't have all the record in Mark. You have to put together all four of the Gospels to get all of the events of that evening. And I believe there's three religious trials and three political trials. All six of those are not recorded in any one of the Gospels. You have to compare Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to put all that together. Well, anyway, they're here in the palace. I think it mentioned that in the previous paragraph. We're in the high priest's palace. The palace is mentioned in verse 66. Okay, Peter was beneath in the palace, and we take that to be Caiaphas' home. The high priest has an elaborate home, and we said last week that was illegal. They weren't supposed to be meeting and being tried in a courtroom type situation in somebody's home. It's supposed to be done in the courtroom. It's all at night. That was illegal. And so Peter is confused. Peter could not understand why Jesus didn't do anything. And so his mind is reeling. And he is searching for some answers. Peter also has some fear. That's what I want to zero in on tonight once we get through this introduction And then Peter had created a bad situation for himself. When he attacked the arresting party, then now Peter, Peter's in trouble. Okay? Thou art one of him. Thou art one of him. And so he failed to wait on the Lord's directive for, you know, what should I do? What should we do? And I think about my own life. Situations happen. This event, now we're reading it. We've been studying it for many, many weeks now. All of this is taking place very rapidly. And if you're like me, I don't think fast enough in situations. I will be like Peter. Well, I got to do something and pull out the sword, cut off the servant of the high priest's ear, try to stop these people from uh, arresting my Savior. But now he is attacking the enemies. Now the enemies are going to be looking for him. So, he, like the other disciples, forsook the Lord and fled. He's now fleeing for his life. So, he's following the Lord afar off. Because he doesn't want to get caught. So, he's fearful for his life. Again, we'll talk about that as we develop the outline here tonight. But he's failing to wait upon the Lord. He's acting in the arm of flesh. What does the hymn writer say? The arm of flesh will fail you. Isn't that a... I think that's a... Uh, reference even from uh, the book of Isaiah anyway, Peter is now a hunted man. Uh, They're not so much interested in finding the disciples, they're after the Lord Jesus. That's kind of the tactic of the enemy, right? You destroy the leader 
for the shepherd. And what happens to the sheep? The sheep scatter. So that's the tactic of the enemy. It's a military tactic to destroy the leader and the followers will disband. So they're not so much concerned about Peter and the other disciples, but they wouldn't mind capturing him as well, I'm sure. So he was a hunted man. So in this scuffle, he forsook the Lord and he fled, fled for his life, being fearful for arrest and possible death. He also is manifesting a weak faith. The opposite of fear is faith. So Peter's not trusting the Lord as he ought to, nor are any of the disciples. So Peter failed to trust Christ in the midst of this confusing and threatening circumstances. Kind of reminds you of Peter all along, doesn't it? Didn't he exhibit weak faith when he tried to walk on the water? He took his eyes off the Lord and failed to trust in the Lord. Now, you know, we fault Peter for that, but if it would have been me, I wouldn't have got out in the boat in the first place. How about you? Try to walk on water like Peter did? But he took his eyes off the Lord, and that's when he began to sink, of course. And, of course, there's a spiritual application there for us. He's fearful of these Jewish leaders as well as the Roman soldiers. He is weak in his faith now, all precipitated by his confusion as to what he should do. We're often thrown into a great temptation. So where do we find Peter? Verse 66, Peter was beneath in the palace. He wasn't with the Lord. You know, some of the commentaries about this say, well, Peter should have been with the Lord. Well, my thought is, if he would have been with the Lord, he probably wouldn't be here. (laughs) He'd probably be crucified with Jesus. I don't know what we want to think about that, but nonetheless, he was in the palace beneath. Who was there? Well, those were all the Christ-haters. Okay? Remember, this is all taking place in the middle of the night. Okay? So, there is a crowd of the chief priests, the scribes, Pharisees perhaps, I think they're listed along the way, religious people, servants of the high priest, and these maids who are there. Normally, they should be sleeping. It's the time of the Passover, so there is a you know crowd of people, but we're in the home of the high priest, so he is with the people of the world, with the crowd of rejectors. Now, he's not necessarily openly there with him, but when we meet that first, the maiden, verse 67, he is warming himself by a fire, so he's sort of out in the open, but he's with the wrong crowd. Again, the Bible teaches us that we ought to be separatists. So there are these four things that cause failure, misunderstanding of God's word. That's why we need to be students of God's word and rightly divide the word of truth. 2 Timothy, what is it, 3.15? We need not be confused. God is not the author of confusion. So confusion comes from another source. We are not to fear, but trust the Lord. And, of course, we need not to have weak faith, but strong faith. I'm going to zero in on the fear. And there are three denials here. So I'm going to call each one of these denials a fear. A fear of, number one, a fear of discovery. A fear of discovery. And the first incident happens because of an individual. When she, one of the maids of the high priest, 
when she saw Peter warming himself, okay, she looked upon him and said, just here it is between the maid and Peter, one individual. You and I can develop a fear of one individual. There are times in life when one person can cause a problem. So sometimes in our lives we have to look around and say, okay, what is really happening here? That one person can make life miserable. And you have to think, okay, is that one person the whole group, whether it be the whole church or whether it be the whole group of the enemy? Is it just that one person? We're not to be afraid of one person. We're really not to be afraid of anything if we're really trusting the Lord. But uh, here was this one individual, a maiden. He was uh, afraid of being discovered. Now, when he was discovered, if he would have been discovered, there would have been ridicule. Okay, So these are kind of sub-points of this fear of discovery. Ridicule, we're often afraid of being ridiculed, made fun of. Oh, you're one of those Christians? You, you believe that? You're one of those fuddy-duddies? I don't know if they still use that word anymore. You're one of those staunch people? They, they like to call us fundamentalists in a, we like that word. They don't. <laughs> they think that's a negative term. I think it's a positive term. Uh, look up the dictionary definition. It means foundational. If you don't have a foundation, you're going to be like that house built on sand. I like being a foundationalist. Okay? There are certain truths of God's Word that are non-negotiable. Those are the foundational truths of God's Word, like the deity of Christ. You can't deny that. The virgin birth, you can't deny that. If you do, the foundation crumbles and you have nothing left of your Christianity. There are other doctrines that wouldn't necessarily be foundational, but that are still biblical truths. Right? They're like the superstructure. Okay, but you have to have those foundational truths. I like that term. You know, they like to equate it with terrorism or something. Does it even make sense? You're a fundamentalist, meaning you're a terrorist? You know, well, they, they say it's a fundamental, whatever a fundamental Islamist is. I have never figured that out. I look at the Islamist, uh, Islamic religion, and it looks confusing to me. Because one Islamic person believes one thing, and another one believes another one. Where is the foundational truths about Islam? First thing, they're not truths. So they can't be foundational. You can't stand on falsehood. That's like the sand. Preaching something else here. We get afraid of ridicule. Oh, you're one of them? And that's what they're saying to Peter. You're one of them. You're a follower of Jesus. You were afraid of embarrassment, right? And what does Paul tell us in the Gospel of, uh, to, uh, of Rome, well, the book of Romans? Paul said, I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. We get embarrassed about the Gospel. Why should we? Why should we get embarrassed about the Gospel? We shouldn't be embarrassed about the truth. And then shamed. We shouldn't be ashamed of the things of God. Back earlier in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8 and verse number 38, Jesus taught, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. We ought not to be ashamed 
of the things of God. Where was Peter in this? Fear of discovery. Now, I don't know that we need to, how should I say it? You know, wear the t-shirt, put on the bumper sticker, I'm a Christian. If we do face persecution, here I am, come and catch me. (laughs) That would not be very wise, (laughs) you know. But we ought not to be ashamed. Somebody asked you, if you're under persecution, are you a Christian? And you want to lie because, no, I'm not a Christian because I'm going to be shot. Well, listen, if you know the Lord as Savior, all they're going to do is shoot you and you're going to heaven. Amen? That's easy to say. I realize that. But Peter was fearful of his life, fearful of ridicule, fearful of embarrassment. What we need to do is learn to be unashamed of Christ in life so that when it comes to the matter of death, we're not ashamed of Christ. Live for Christ in an unashamed way, in a non-fear of ridicule and embarrassment. Openly live for Christ. We can deny the Lord in a couple of different ways. We can do it by our voice, by saying something like Peter did, I don't know him. Or we can do it by our action. If we do things that a Christian ought not to do, we're really denying the Lord, aren't we? Or we can deny the Lord by our silence. Aren't you one of him? And don't say anything at all. Or something happens that's non-Christian and don't stand up against that. Now, there's a time and a place and the right place to do certain things. I understand all of that. But we can deny the Lord by voice, by action, or by our silence. So the first fear is the fear of discovery. The second fear, I'm going to call the fear of persecution. All right, let's go back to the text there. Chapter 14, verse number, let's read verse 67 again. The first uh, denial. And when she, the first maiden, saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, she probably recognized him, okay, having been with Peter, with Jesus. And that's a good characteristic to have, by the way. Like in the book of Acts, they recognize that these disciples have been with Jesus. That ought to be true. Of all of us. So when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. What are you talking about? And he went out under the porch, and the cock crew. And then another maid saw him, in verse 69, and she began to say to him, that them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. So he's uh, got a second uh, denial, and I'm calling this the fear of persecution. Now, the persecution is not just with one person. The question is not just with one maid, but a maid who announces him to a crowd of people. This time, the maid is calling out to a crowd of these people who are against the Lord. So Peter is afraid of the persecution that would come because of this. You know, it may be one thing to stand up for the Lord when one individual questions whether we're a follower of the Lord. But when that one individual moves to a crowd of other people and that crowd then begins to ridicule and try to create a situation of embarrassment or make us feel ashamed about being a Christian, then the pressure for persecution comes in a greater form. And so, what do we see Peter doing here? He denied it again. 
And the other Gospels tell us that he denied it with an oath. Okay? It was not here recorded for us in Mark, but they add that thought that he denied with an oath. Peter's in a progression here of falling away from the Lord. He's actually lying in the first denial, right? The, the, maid, the first maid said, you're one of him. He said, no, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. That's a lie. He knew who Peter was. He was one of the three disciples that was the closest to the Lord. He definitely knew the Lord. And now he has to lie again to cover up the fact that he knows the Lord. So he's in the progression, denying the Lord, continuing to stand with Christ rejectors. That's a dangerous place to be in. The psalmist said that. You know, you're going to be blessed of the Lord when you do not sit or stand or walk with the ungodly. You read Psalm 1 where he says all of that. And that's a progression as well. Okay, You really, if you turn it around backwards, you end up walking with them, stopping and standing with them, and then sitting with the ungodly. Be careful of being with them. That's why the Bible teaches us to come out from among them and be ye separate. And so Peter was with the Christ rejectors because he fled the Lord. And when you flee from the Lord, where are you going to end up? You're going to end up on the wrong side. Because with the Lord's the right side. So Peter ended up on the wrong side when he left the Lord and fled from him. And then there's the third denial. Verse number 70. And he denied again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them. Now this is a crowd. Okay? The first time it was one single maid by herself. Second time another maid announcing to a crowd. Now a group of people say to him, Thou art one of him. Surely thou art one of him. And thou art a Galilean. Thy speech agreeeth thereto. I'm always curious about that. How did they know that Peter had a Galilean dialect? Was he actually speaking with people? Was he conversing with people? Evidently so, for them to say that your speech agrees with the fact that you're a Galilean. Now remember, he's in Judea. He's in Jerusalem. Many of the original disciples were from Galilee, that province around the Sea of Galilee. A number of them were fishermen, working out of and off of the Sea of Galilee. Peter was one of them. His dialect, showing that he was from the province of Galilee, betrayed him. By the way, your speech will betray you. How do you talk for the Lord? Christians ought to have the speech of Christ. But not to have the speech of the world. We do not need to use the language of the world to speak at all. So your speech is indeed going to betray you to whether or not you are a full servant of Christ or not. So thy speech agreeeth to the fact that you are a Galilean. But look at what he does in verse 71. But he began to curse and to swear. So he's not only denying with an oath, now he's cursing and swearing, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. My thought is Peter's reverting back to his fisherman's life. He's a man of the world before he comes to Christ. And men of the world, they're burly. They have to use that language of the world to really show they're a man. I mean, that's so stupid and dumb. But that's the way the world thinks. You know, I watch it at work. When other men 
get around other men that they want to impress, they use bad language. I, I never have figured it out, but that's what they do. I hear them. I watch them. I observe them. And my thought is, listen, if you're really going to be a man, use courteous speech. You don't have to talk like the devil. And then I hear people who claim to be Christians using that same language. That's not the language of Christ. Your speech will betray you. Cursing and swearing, not a part of the Christian's language. So let me call the third fear the fear of pressure. Okay, So it's kind of a step beyond, in my thinking, the persecution. He had a fear of the persecution. Now the pressure of this. Moving, of course, from an individual to an individual who confronts a smaller group to a larger crowd. So the pressure to conform to the world increases. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached at church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again. <laughs>